Welcome to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are, we're going to get through a whopping 15 verses. That's pretty much what we're going to do. Um, we're going to start in Luke chapter 8, and we are going to deal with um, the parable of the sower as the primary focus, and it's got a lot of points of discussion, a lot sure. of challenge that goes with it. Uh, but as we often do, uh, we're starting with some comments from the version, the talk it over section. Mike Van Fleet says, where is your faith? Question mark. Um, if Jesus had to ask this of the disciples that are with him on a boat, what is my answer to the same question? I believe I have faith by his grace and mercy. Salvation is mine. Lord, may my faith get stronger let me bear fruit, guide me, shape me. Thank you, Jesus. I like, uh, of course, knowing Mike and knowing uh, the nature of his heart. I, I love his humility. I love, I love the idea that Mike looks at it and says, okay, I have faith and I believe in Jesus, but help me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to grow in that. And I, I think that that is lacking sometimes in the Christian walk that we, we miss the idea that we can always grow and become more trusting yes. of Jesus. And um, yes. I, that, that is an interesting thing that's going to lead us into, into part of our discussion on this, that um, the fact that faith can grow shows us that it is an expression from people. It is a trust that we have in God, and yet we grow in our trust in God. Because if trust or faith was something God deposits in us, uh, interesting. Why would it need to grow? Absolutely. Why? Why would it need to grow? Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be good enough? But and we would have no control over the amount. And we would <laughs> never be able to control that. So, okay. Well, without further ado, we're going to jump into Luke chapter eight. Why don't you start us off, Barney, and tell us something you're seeing? Sure. I I, I just love the picture that Luke paints about the ministry that's going on, and he and he's brings some notable women into the picture here, and he. He talks about, he says, uh, soon, soon afterwards, he, he, be, he being Jesus, began going around from one city and village to, to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven, seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and... Susanna and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. It is a, a very diverse crew that Luke has just pointed out here. I love the fact that you have folks that, that had experienced uh, healing. Uh, they had experienced many, many things. This woman, seven spirits had been uh, driven out of her and and uh, not only that, it's it's notable that Luke points out that they were contributing to the support of the ministry, which is a very important note, I think, on that. And I, it's uh, I I think that Luke is a guy that doesn't just like all the other uh, biblical writers. It's not just filler space that he's added to this. It, he wanted people to know that. And one of the ones that stood out to me was this. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, this woman's husband was the financial director for Herod and uh, held a high posi- position in the uh, uh, government of Herod or in, in more the Jewish, the Jewish government. But uh, certainly, certainly this was a, this was a woman whose husband was uh, in a very high standing, and and the fact that 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 this woman has gone to Christ, and obviously her husband works for the the fellow that that's over the Jewish leaders, right. and it's uh, I I love the the story just paints this beautiful beautiful picture of a diverse group who and by the way. Women and oh, by the way, they were contributing to the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah, I, I think when we study that, 
we see uh, the diversity is the most important piece for me to see. You have somebody like Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and then you have Joanna, and you have you couldn't be more different right. in these two in these two women, and it seems to paint the picture that God uses resources that we would never put in his control. We would never see that would be in his control. We have a, we have a, a sevenfold demon possessed woman. And then we have uh, the wife of the steward of Herod. And God says, all of those people were contributing to their support. And mm-hmm. there here is of course, Jesus and his, and his apostles, mm-hmm. their support out of their private means. Uh, God has a way of using the world's resources for his kingdom purposes. Yeah. And these are the most diverse group group of women that you can imagine. So what a powerful thing. Um, but but specifically what is listed here is that their their support is how uh, is a is a means by which Jesus and his apostles are continuing to do mm-hmm. ministry. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. that is a very important thing. So we roll from we roll from this idea of these of these uh, women who are helping to support ministry to verse four, and a very interesting parable, mm-hmm. uh, an interesting parable, and not just an interesting parable, but uh, but in some ways, a reasoning behind why parables are even how Jesus chooses to communicate, and and in that reasoning lies a serious amount of scholarly debate. So we, we've got to be very careful about that. So verse 4 says, When a large crowd was coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. Mm-hmm. And here, of course, is a parable that we're very familiar with. Uh, the sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. Uh, And as he said these things, so back to a little bit of, uh, you know, explanation to what's going on. As he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that line is vitally important for what we're about to understand Mm -hmm. because Jesus is actually saying that if you have ears to hear, if you're willing to listen to what I'm about to say, then do so. Okay, Mm -hmm. then do so. Uh, We're going to get into the choices of men here in just a second and some challenging ideas. So verse 9 continues. He says, his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. Now, here's just a quick observation that I feel people need to take uh, into consideration before we see Jesus's answer. And that is, what did Jesus speak? He spoke a parable, correct? Mm-hmm. Who did he speak that parable to? Verse 4 says, A large crowd was coming together. Those from various cities were journeying to him, and he spoke the parable. But who also is present? His disciples. Yes. This is a really important identif- or a different, uh, an important thing to identify in the story, and that is his disciples didn't understand his meaning either. Right. Spoke in parables. They didn't get it. But what marks the disciples in a very unique way is they run to him and they say, uh, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by this? So is there something that stands out to you yeah. so far? He, he, that's uh, very clearly laid out in, in verse 9 that, that they began to question him. I love the fact, and b- before we get into the meat of this, I, I love the fact that Jesus used, and I, I've said this before, we've talked about a parable and what it means and what it is. And uh, you hear all kinds of things. It's a, uh, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's, a, it's talking about, but I, I like the fact that Jesus used things that they knew about to teach them something that they didn't know about. This was something that was common, uh, farmers and sowing seed and everything. And we, we, we know if you, if you look at the, uh, uh, the way that a farmer operated in that day, they didn't dig a hole and plant the seed. They 
threw the seed out, and then plowed the ground up so that the ground was over top of it. That was the typical way that they did that. So sowing seed was was a very common thing. And uh, but that so that piece, knowing that Jesus is going to tell them a story that they can clearly understand on its face. Yes. But when it's the meaning and the understanding, because he he clearly tells them it that, is a parable. And that is a powerful observation because their question is about the meaning the of meaning. the parable. They are not struggling to understand the words coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> that That's pretty simple. And they're going, okay, great. This is a really great agricultural lesson. Mm-hmm. What in the world is the point? So then verse 10. So Jesus responds, and he said to you, and this is the controversial verse, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Mm -hmm. Okay, challenging, challenging verse here. Mm -hmm. Uh, A couple of things that we're going to have to do is we're going to have to remember what we've discussed so far, and then we're going to have to look to what is being quoted here, which is a passage from Isaiah Mm -hmm. 6. So the first thing that we have to remember here is that he tells them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So it seems to be an indication of, if you can understand this, do it. Second, the parable was spoken both to the apostles and to the crowds. The apostles did not understand its meaning. Right. But in their humbling themselves, they come to him and say, tell us what this parable meant. Jesus responds to them and says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries. Now the question is, how has it been granted? Because they don't understand it yet. So what we're getting at here is a method of how they get to understand it. And that is, they're going to be They're going to be given the meaning of it, the understanding of it, because they're asking and Jesus is going to explain it. Mm -hmm. He spoke to them in parables just the same as he spoke to the rest of the world, Mm -hmm. but they sought the understanding. There's something about that that's important. But then he goes on and says, but to the rest, it is in parables. And here is why. So that. And there's a lot that has been made of those two words, Mm -hmm. so that, and I think sometimes we're parsing words too much, but so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Where's this coming from? Mm, Yeah, this is, this is coming from prophetic words out of Isaiah. And if you, if you read it on its face, you will, uh, you will look at this and not, not see that there is far more, I, I am so glad that that the that his disciples came and said, "Hey, what does this mean?" Because we realize that this is not just a story about good good practices in in agriculture or farming. So, and and we have to be that same. We need to be the same way. We need to understand that there is a piece of this that Jesus wants us to know. If in fact, if in fact, we are a part of the group that actually wants to know. Wants to know. So I'm also grateful, just as you said, I'm also grateful that Jesus often quotes things that are so manifestly obvious references to an Old Testament passage yes. that the Jewish mind, not our minds, we're we're lost on these things, but the Jewish mind says, I've heard that before. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's Isaiah. Oh, I get that. So what we need to do for our understanding of this is we actually need to flip to Isaiah and we're going to go to Isaiah chapter six, and we're just going to kind of walk through this really quick so that we might understand it. Because again, I want to set the stage for why this is a complicated thing. Mm -hmm. Many people would conclude that what Jesus is saying here is, uh, I've granted it to some to see and some to not see. Mm-hmm. I've chosen some for salvation and some not for salvation. The first thing that you need to remember is that this passage has nothing to do with salvation. Right. right. That is an important thing. You can read salvation into about any passage you want, but it has nothing to do with salvation. We're going to read later where we might be able to conclude these ideas, but this passage is not about salvation. And so to force salvation into this, well, it's going to lead you to, to try to interpret, interpret it in a very 
interesting way. So flipping over to Isaiah 6, we're going to start even from the beginning of Isaiah 6. Here's, here's what is happening in Isaiah's day. In the year of King Isaiah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and his train uh, was filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. This is the seraphim before uh, God. We see a really uh, amazing picture of this in the book of Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. Verse 3, he says, And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, this is Isaiah, then I said, woe is me for I am ruined. Because the truth is that if we're standing in the presence of a holy God, that will be our reaction. Mm -hmm. Woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. What is Isaiah referring to? Well, Isaiah 1 through 5 is, is all uh, this story of the brokenness and the waywardness of Israel and Judah and the hint of captivity in chapter 5. So the people are rebelling against God. They're not faithful people. So he goes on. He says, And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. What a purification that's going on here. <laughs> yes. pretty, pretty powerful. And why is this purification happening? So that he can go to heaven when he dies. That's not what this is about. Okay, so look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. The reason he touches his lips is because he, he forgives him and he cleanses him as, of his iniquity so that he can stand purely before mm -hmm. the people of God. So Isaiah does what many of us, uh, I think, wouldn't dare to do, and that is volunteer for God's yeah, mission. Raise your hand and say, <laughs> Pick me. Pick, pick me, me, right? So he says, here I am, send me. And he said, and here is where we get this idea of what Jesus is saying. Mm -hmm. He says, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. And then he goes back to Isaiah and he says, and here's what's going to happen as you keep this message going. He says, you're going to render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. You see, the juxtaposition of, uh, of this idea of otherwise they might see is an otherwise for dull hearing and the, and the rejection of the Word of God. It is not, they would hear, but I won't let them hear. That's not the way we understand it. And let me prove it to you. I want to I spend some time mm -hmm. proving this piece to you a little bit clearer. Back in Luke chapter 8, we see not only uh, the reference to Isaiah 6-9, but we also see this account recorded in two separate places. The first one would be in Matthew 13, 14. This is kind of the, the Matthew version of this same story. Listen to what Matthew quotes with Isaiah 6. He says, In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. This is a people who had rejected Jesus' message, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. So there's a slight language change there, mm -hmm. okay? Not changing the meaning. I hope we get this. Seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear or perceive. And here it says, you'll keep on hearing, but you will not understand. That was kind of the message of Isaiah back in Isaiah 6, which is 6 verse 9, when he basically says, you wouldn't listen even if I told you. That's what he's getting at, right? But it's Acts 28, 26 that is so, so powerful. And I want, you to, I want you to see this, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to it. But Acts 28, starting at verse 23, here's what happens. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. 
And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. The them in this is Jewish people. From both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening, verse 24, some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Now, mark that down. They would not believe. It doesn't say they could not believe. It says they would not believe. Verse 25, and when they did not agree with one another, imagine that, uh, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word to them. And here, here, here is what we have to understand. They refused to believe Paul's message, and so Paul spoke this parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, Mm -hmm. become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear, scarcely, not never, scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Who closed their eyes? They They closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return. You see, the otherwise is proved here. If they would just listen, we wouldn't have this problem. The problem is they just refuse to listen. Another passage, and I just, I totally want to hear your thoughts because we, mm-hmm. we're going deeper into this. Sure. No, but absolutely. Acts chapter 13, verse 46 says this, uh, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they blasphemously contradicted what Paul was saying. Now check what happens in verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. It was necessary to speak the word of God to you first, but since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, who's not considering them worthy of eternal life? It's surely not God. Absolutely. It's them. You do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. The, The message that is happening in this really challenging passage is not read through our very distorted lenses that say, to you it has been granted the mysteries. God saved you, but he has chosen not to save others. It's not the way it's read. First of all, again, we're not dealing with salvation. And second of all, we're dealing with a message of return from exile for God's people. And he says, the problem is seeing they still don't Mm -hmm, see. mm -hmm. Hearing they still don't hear. Why? Because they don't want to. That's what Acts 28 tells us. It says, and with their ears, they scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. They don't want to hear what God's message is. They were on the outside of this and had no, 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 uh, uh, no desire to be on the inside of this. They, they didn't, they, they were not going to understand this because they didn't want to understand this. And they, they even, it's so, it's so interesting because even, even the very simple concept of the seed, they didn't know what the seed was. They did until Jesus said the seeds, the word of God. So there, there is an understanding here that has to be desired for the people to get it. And if it's not desired, then they're they're absolutely not going absolutely. to get it. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. So here, here's where we here's where we move forward into this parable, and we start to parse out each line. We start to discover what it is that um, that Jesus means by that kind of agricultural picture mm-hmm. <laughs> that he just painted. So these people don't want to see. They don't want to hear. And so he speaks in parables. This is, this is what he is getting at. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Let's define our terms right now. Yep, yep. The seed is what? It's the word of God. It's the word of God. What is the word of God? This is the message of the gospel. This is, this is Romans 1.16, the power of God unto salvation. So in that respect, maybe we look at the idea of salvation, but... I'm going to connect why salvation is an end game to this story mm-hmm. in a little while. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. 
those beside the road, so he's, he's putting this into the categories of people groups, right? Those beside the road are those who have heard. Okay, so they heard the message. Mm-hmm. But then... And this is a really weird passage, right? Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that, but this is what we have to continue with, so that they will not believe and be saved. These people had never been saved. Mm -hmm. They didn't believe. They heard the word and there's a doubt that's sown or there's somebody who comes in and says, I can't believe you're going to believe that Christianity nonsense, whatever it is. All of this is We've never asked the question when reading this, or we often don't ask the question when reading this, how is the devil stealing it away? He he does that through doubt. He does that through naysayers. My goodness, I think it's endless how he might do that. Taking away their understanding of what God is saying, not wanting and thinking this is too hard to get, and this is something that's not for them, and obviously this shows that God doesn't care about me. That's what those are some of the lies that Satan will tell. Uh, folks to keep them from understanding what God wants them to understand in his word. And it is it, crucial that we, that we, first of all, that we desire to understand it. And, and then, then number two, that we actually take the steps to start to figure out what it is that God wants us to know yes. in this. And so, yeah, that's critical piece. It's, it's, it's very telling that, uh, that this, uh, comes through the enemy, comes through the devil. It's very yes. clear. Yes. So the, the scripture elsewhere talks about the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth nor principalities nor things present nor things to come. Um, but the, the idea there is that that message was given to a covenanted people. That message was given to those who believed. Okay, mm-hmm. the indicator of these path people, if you want to say it this way, um, and and much of this again by choice, uh, these roadside people, uh, the devil has come in because they will not believe. Look at that, they will not believe, so that they will not believe and be saved. Okay, so that, that's a challenge, but mm-hmm. still there, and it's something that we we ought to uh, we ought to take heart in. Verse thirteen. Next group of people. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while. Now, notice that. They believe. They believe. that This mm-hmm, is trust, mm-hmm. right? Yep. They believe for a while, um, and in a time of temptation, they fall away. So, the word believe there is still pistuo. It's the same exact uh, idea of what we're supposed to exercise. We are saved by grace through pistuo, through mm-hmm. faith, uh, or pistis. We're saved by this. So these people believed. Uh, they believed for a while, and in a time of temptation, they fall away. I believe that this is what we see uh, later in, or we see elsewhere in Hebrews 6, passages like this, where there is a, there is a, no root in them. They've received the word with joy, though. Absolutely. You notice the gladness they yes. received. And the root would have been able to help them to endure the, temp, the temptation that's coming. So had they been rooted in the word, and there again, wasn't because they couldn't be rooted. Yes. They certainly could have been, but they, they were not. Yes, absolutely. So what, what we're seeing here is another group of people. Now, we're going to get back to the question of, are these just pre-designated types of people in the world? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, we, we're showing over and over, man has a responsibility in this. Verse 14, uh, the seed which uh, fell among the thorns... These are the ones who have heard, okay, so how many people have heard now? Everybody's Everybody. heard, okay? Yes. They, the roadside have heard, the rocky soil have heard, the, the, the thorny soil has heard. These are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. So what's the what's the major downfall of these individuals? Yeah, they their 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 heart was elsewhere. They had no uh, they were more concerned about the the cares of the life that they were living 
versus the word. They so and keeping in mind and in each one of these situations you'll see that the seed didn't change. The seed was the same throughout the entire story. Did not change. It's 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 notable to understand that God's not saying, "Hey, I'm going to give one seed to one group and one seed to somebody and this other seed to someone else." It's not that. It's Absolutely. the same seed, the same well, word. That point right there makes my heart jump up and down because it is the same word. By the way, the same word that scripture says will not return void. Yes. But see, we're not talking about whether or not God has his effect. We're talking about like we saw in the Pharisees in in uh, the middle parts of Acts, they deemed themselves unworthy of eternal life, okay? So we're we're back to these confirming points. The next thing that's really important about that piece of it's the same word is that there are groups inside of the church that would say, okay, well, if God, if God plants this seed, if God's the one who, who sows this seed, um, he is also the giver of faith. And, and often what is quoted is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is pretty familiar for people. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Now, uh, I've pointed this out so many times. Grammatically, the real important thing here is that the term term, uh, faith and the term grace both have a gender, and when it says, and that, that's going to have a gender, and that gender matches up with grace, not with faith. Grammatically, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and scholars know this. As a matter of fact, one of the largest proponents for the idea that faith is a gift of God and therefore it must be effectual and saves those whom God chooses would have been John Calvin. Mm -hmm. And John Calvin in his own commentary said, we cannot grammatically conclude that faith is the gift of God referenced here. Grace is the gift of God referenced here. Why do I bring that up? I bring that up because... In verse 12, the roadside people had the word of God sowed into their life. And guess what? There was no effectual faith there. Yeah, it's because faith was never the gift of God in that context. Mm. Number two, the rocky soil, the same word of God was sown into their life. No effectual faith here. Mm. They fell away. Why? Because faith is not the gift of God. Grace is. Faith is the response of man. We must put our trust in a holy God. Verse 14, the seed fell among thorns. Same seed, no effectual faith. They believed even in verse 13. It says that they did have faith. They pistuoed. They had faith. Where's the effectual faith in it? Because it's not a gift of God. Mm -hmm. It's simply not what the text says. What we do conclude is that it is the trust of man in the work of God. Many people argue about this and they want to conclude that somehow then that you are working your way to salvation. But as I've heard many times, I love this idea. I love this quote. uh, But the idea is me believing that I cannot save myself is not a work to save myself. Right. That's me right. acknowledging I can't do the very thing you're telling me exactly. I can't do. And that has nothing to do with work. This is another thing from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that is worth noting. And that is that what is contrasted here is works, right? Mm-hmm. Is works which we are not saved by and uh, and faith. Okay, so faith is not a work if it's contrasted to works. Exactly. Hello. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how we miss this. Yeah. So the point still remains. Verse 14, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard and they go on their way. They are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. That second piece mm-hmm. of that is that There's no fruit in keeping with their repentance. There's no fruit in their life, like Galatians 5 would say, the fruit of the Spirit. There's a serious problem here. There's two things in in this that that stand out in in this uh, scripture and, and the concept of this, because it is admittedly difficult at best. But when you look at this and you think about the same seed, and not only the same seed, we have to think about the sower. 
The sower was the same. The sower didn't pick and choose as far as how the seed would be received. He sowed the seed. The seed was sown. So it was not, and, and sometimes, and I relate that to the fact that people will read scripture like this that is very difficult and on its face seems like, oh my gosh, God doesn't want me to understand this. Not so. Not so. The sower does his job every time. And so you can't, you can't blame the different results on the sower. You can't blame the different results on the seed. No. Same you, seed, it, same it, sower. Man, I'm telling you, those statements right there, again, they're powerful statements because we know that God says he wants that none should perish and that all come to everlasting life. So why is it that seed is falling on all these yeah, soils yeah. that represent people? Yeah. It, it, would, it would appear he wants them all, yeah. but the manifestation of those soils is rocky people are overcome with temptation and fall away. Uh, thorny people are, uh, are overcome by the worries of the riches and the pleasures of this life and bear no fruit. And then the path soil, which again represents a people group, a, a people on whom the seed was sown, yes. uh, the devil has come and taken it away. Yeah. That's and interesting. if you think about these, the result of this, and I, I look at this and think, my, this to these guys that are listening, men and women that are listening to this and, and understanding exactly what Jesus is saying to them as he explains it to them. And, and, and they look at this and say, there's going to be some that are not going to hear. They're not going, they're going to choose not to hear. But I love, I love verse uh, 15. It says, but the seed and the good soul, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. It is, there is a, there, there is a harvest for them. That had to give them hope because they realize that there's going to be different soils. Yes. There's going to be there the 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 sower and the seed are the same, but there are different soils and 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 they and they actually see this played out in the ministry of Christ and even in their own ministry later on when they have people that will not hear. But Barney, there's nobody good. No, not one. I mean, don't you know that Romans is expressly clear on this? And, and the answer is yes, we know that Romans is expressly clear on this. But please understand, goodness has nothing to do with being, uh, with being justified or uh, with being righteous before God yeah. in this context. Uh, again, if we're dealing with salvation, and we're going to tie this in at the end on that salvation is a future-looking thing mm -hmm. that comes with perseverance, but here, here's what I want you to see. He defines what good is. Mm -hmm. He does not say, oh, by the way, there's just this good soil, and God saves the good people. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's not that No. Uh, if you uh, really wanted to take this the way you should take it, everybody's dirt here. Yeah. yeah. Every, yes. <laughs> Pun intended, right? Yes. Everybody's dirt here, but here's what he says, but the seed in the good soil Ah, what's the definition of good, Jesus? Uh, the, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. Mm -hmm. they, they have heard it. There's an honesty there. There is um, this term for good. Uh, it's, it, it is interesting. Uh, agathos, right? So let me, let me pull up this meaning because it, it is kind of fun to this. First of all, it is foreign to the Greek, but when used here, it means to pertain uh, to meeting a relatively high standard of quality. Okay. It's useful or beneficial. Okay. Mm. This is not morally. This has to do with useful soil. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's just look up the words. Okay. And so he says the seed in the good soil. Oh, here's the definition of it. It's the one who has heard the word in an honest and useful heart, mm. and they hold it fast, and they bear fruit with perseverance. What do we read in the scripture? It says, it says, those who endure to the end, they will be mm -hmm. saved. You see, salvation is a future idea in this parable. Right. But what is amazing about the good soil is not some sort of moral goodness, not some sort of self-justifiable anything. It is a heart that hears the word and believes it. Yeah. Yeah. Every other soil 
has heard it and they have found a way, either the devil or they found a way to believe and then fall away from it. And in this context, they heard it, they received it, and they held on to it mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. all of their might and with all of their uh, with all of their energy. And this leads to perseverance. Mm-hmm. And it it's this is a uh, this is so uh, uh, telling in that it, this this compels these people and us actually to to say how how are what kind of soil are we going to be? Are are we looking at our lives? Is this is this a picture of how things are going to go with the Word of God as it relates to us? We and 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 let's and I'm you know keeping in mind that this is looking forward to Christ. Christ has not died at, at this point yes. yet. So, it, but it, it's how can how can we be those people that Jesus talked about? that are honest and a good heart, and they hold fast the Word of God and bear fruit with perseverance, how can we, we be that? This, this is a parable that was, that was, if you understand it and you, and you get the meaning that Christ has clearly laid out, man, it, it puts a, it invites action. It yes. invites, we've got, to, we've got to make a choice yeah. whether we choose to be those, the bad soil or do, are we going to choose to be the good soil? It's, it, you, you can look at this and say, well, that's a really interesting, confusing story. It's not that confusing. It's not that confusing. And again, what the, the points of connection that we've made with this are Isaiah 6. We've looked at Acts chapter 28. We've looked at Acts chapter 13. Mm-hmm. We've continued throughout even in Mark's gospel or Matthew's gospel, rather. Uh, we've looked at the interpretations of this same Isaiah passage, and it never is about, well, God just picked one uh, for salvation and another one for damnation. None of that's in view. It's just not there. Instead, very clearly, words on the page are, you considered yourself unworthy of eternal life. Uh, You rejected this. You wouldn't see it even though I was showing it to Mm -hmm. you. This is the message. Now, a couple other observations that that are fun in this parable. Number one, everybody else who hears, which is four soil groups, four people groups, everybody hears the word of God, but only the last group does it mention anything about their heart. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's a condition of these people. What you see out of the the path soil is that the devil is at work. The devil is seeking uh, whom he may devour. He's prowling around. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. If you want a philosophical question, you can ask the question, why does God allow him to steal? That's a different matter. But he has come to kill, steal, and destroy. He is an enemy. This is what he is said to do. The second group of people, the roadside people, it deals nothing with their heart. But I think we see what the problem is. It says that uh, they receive the word with joy, but there's no firm root. Mm -hmm. They believe for a while, and in the time of temptation, they fall away. Or the thorny soil, um, they believe, right? They've heard the word, and as they go on their way, they're choked with the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life. The juxtaposition, and no maturity in fruit, the juxtaposition in verse 15 is that we hear this one phrase, ah, they heard the word, and in an honest and a good heart, mm-hmm. they held fast to this. Some people look at this and they say, I don't like this whole idea of somebody being good or, or we saying that there's somebody with a good and even a useful heart. You're saying that other people don't have a useful heart. It is about making your heart is about, and I know what this sounds like. Everybody's going to say, oh, it sounds like works, works-based something or other. It's not. For you to say, I want to be useful, is for you to admit God can only alone make me useful. Right. Admitting it is not a work. Mm-hmm. Admitting it is not right. anything like this. So they admit to this idea, and God is caring for them and loving them. We've seen these um, 
we've seen this good soil before. Yeah. Where did we see it? We saw it in Simeon. We mm-hmm. saw it in Anna. We saw it in Elizabeth. We saw it in Zechariah. We saw it in Mary. We've seen it before. Mm-hmm. The text of Scripture tells us that these people were faithful. They were noble. They were righteous. It is clear. It's clear. It is clear. We, I think what we've done is we've, um, and, th- and this definitely picks a fight, and I'm not, I'm not really intending to, but it, it is... N.T. Wright says this as well. He says that all too, far too often in the 21st century, we're trying to answer 16th century questions. That is, in the 21st century, we're trying to, we're trying to answer Reformation questions when what we ought to be doing is answering first century questions. What does he mean by this? We need to clear away the weeds of all of the past that we have built up in our lives, and we need to look at what the text meant to them. Absolutely. To them. Absolutely. When we do that, we don't have the baggage we have. Now, I am in no way saying that I am not grateful for the Reformation. I am, I am very grateful for this time in, in church history. But what I am getting at in a more important way is, is that this there were no filters like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in these people's mm-hmm. mind. They weren't thinking like like some of us think today. Yeah. It just wasn't there. So it, it, it was not. And if we insert our world into their world, it doesn't fit. It's no. never going to fit. And if we insert our thinking into their world, it's not going to fit. It's not going to come to any fruit. It's not going to, we're going to get, get no under understanding out of it. And I'll, I'll quote a, uh, I, I don't know if, if uh, uh, I'll quote Bob Hackathorn, who is a very, uh, a dear, dear man who was like a father to me, and he said, a text taken out of its context becomes a pretext. And, uh, and we see that, that, that if, if we try to insert our world into the, into the issues they were having at this time, it, it simply will not result in us getting the, uh, the under, understanding. Or if we try to, try to fit it in there somehow and make our predetermined belief system fit it, that, that doesn't work yeah. either. And we talked about this, about the sovereignty of God and, and how, uh, you know, we, and uh, I believe, I believe you've said it was A.W. Tozer that said, uh, God predetermined not, he predetermined not what your choice was going to be. He predetermined that you would have a choice. Yes. That's what yes. he's predetermined yes. for us. And yes. unless we understand that and we, we will, we will, Take a scripture like this, a difficult scripture, no doubt, a difficult story, no doubt, but it's not that it cannot be understood. Yes. I think I think repeated through this podcast, we've we've shown that from the text of scripture, we talk about this exegesis versus eisegesis all the time. Exegesis is to is to exit out of the text a meaning. Eisegesis would be to read into it a meaning. When we talk about reading mm-hmm. our culture into their world, the interesting thing is contextually we're eisegeting a context. Mm-hmm. We're shoving our context into their world, and we even need to do sound exegesis uh, when we're talking about context. We need to pull from them and and pull it out of the text of Scripture from them. We we right. can't keep reading our own worlds into this. But I, I believe that we've proved very very well um, over this time that throughout this throughout this passage that Jesus is trying to. Um, you know, illuminate his disciples' understanding of. Jesus is not saying, he is not saying, um, I speak in parables because I don't want them to get it. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I speak in parables because they aren't listening to me anyway, right. and you're coming to me asking for the answer. You have uh, maybe what verse 15 says, you have an honest and useful heart that says, I want to know, I want to understand, as is marked by their question, what does this mean, master? They heard the same parable and then they were converted so uh, I, I think as we wrap up, one of the one of the pieces that I, I would 
challenge anybody to look up. Uh, there's a journal article that is entitled Exile and the Purpose of Jesus's Parables. And the author deals with Mark 4 and Matthew 13 and again, Luke chapter 8 here. But I just want to read this brief thing to you uh, that really kind of sets this whole thing in the framework of Isaiah 6 and helps us to understand. He says this, he says, when the meaning of Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 is understood in its Old Testament context, So we're exegeting from the Old Testament. And that understanding brought to the quotation of the passage by Jesus in the purpose of the parables, a much more satisfactory interpretation results than the standard ones. Rather than Jesus taking the passage out of context himself, why would he do that? And applying it either to the concept of individual salvation, which drives many scholars to say uh, to save Jesus from the idea of desiring some to be saved and some not to be saved, or to his supposed attempt to obscure his message from the Jewish leaders, which he wasn't doing either. Instead, he is declaring that most Jews, the Jewish people, remember who his audience is, they are corporately still in exile. And he goes on to conclude, the author of the article goes on to conclude that they will come out of that great exile from Babylon. They will come out of that great exile when they come into the kingdom of God. It's not a, it's not a physical kingdom right here and right now. Uh, it may manifest itself physically in our lives, but it is the kingdom that comes to trust in Jesus as both Christ and Lord. That article or that journal article uh, is from March of 2008, from pages 59 through 85, and it's written by Douglas S. McComsky. So I would encourage you to check that out. Well, uh, we've talked about a lot, but I want to know any parting thoughts that you have, maybe practical thoughts. It's just a beautiful picture, I think, that 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 Jesus paints here, and one that on its face, as we've said throughout this, that it is difficult, and uh, if, if, we, if we do not have the heart to go in and understand what, what Jesus is saying here, we will, we will not come away with the, the, the beautiful picture that he's painting of, 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 of his, his word, and, and those, and the sower and the seed, we will not understand it. Uh, it will not take a cursory reading of the Word of God just to just to kind of run through it and say, "Hey, I read my chapter for the day." Will not get you the understanding that you need for this. So, I, I really, really appreciate the fact that we have a format like this, and we have people that are interested in in really understanding what God wants from them. So, that's encouraging. That's extremely encouraging. That, I think, is the best way to end this. So, guys, thank you so much for for, uh, logging on or checking out the podcast. Here's a couple things that I want to say at the end. I would love, we would love for you to share this podcast. So do that on Facebook, do that on Twitter, do that on Instagram, whatever it is that you share on. Um, Like the podcast. If you're on Google, if you're on iTunes, or if you're on SoundCloud, go ahead and hit the like. I mean, I think most most of those end up anonymous anyway, but we would love for you to hit the like button on that. We're trying to continue to to go further with this, and we do feel, as Barney said, we do feel that this is a good format, and it is helpful uh, as we seek to understand the text of Scripture. But as we've said in every podcast leading up to this, if you have questions, if you have thoughts, concerns, disagreements, whatever it is, the only way these conversations move forward, the only way that we grow in unity and love for one another is if we talk in a, um, in a civil way about these kinds of ideas and these kinds of understandings. So we are all ears, and we would love to hear your, um, your thoughts. So you can email us at piercepointchurch at gmail.com, nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com, or barneyestes at yahoo.com. So... That's it. Have a great day, guys.